I'm James Chan, the host of the China Current, and I'm in Manila at the Western Pacific Regional Office of the World Health Organization, home to a quarter of humanity and home also to Dr. Angela Pratt, who, amongst all the things she's doing, is helping to fight on tobacco. China has a huge problem with tobacco, but it's getting a lot better. Tobacco use is a huge public health problem in China, James. Uh, let me give you a few key figures. 300 million people, that's how many people smoke in China every day. One million, that's how many people die in China every year as a result of tobacco use. If you just think about that for a moment, if one million people were dying of an infectious disease, we would be treating it as uh, not just a national, but a global emergency. Um, so this really is a hugely challenging uh, issue for China, though I'm very happy to say, as you uh, indicated in your question, that we are starting to see some progress, which is great. We'll get to that in a minute, but let's dial it back because you lived in China. You lived in a in a cool apartment in a cool part of town. Did you see it? I mean, how did it impact the culture every day? When I first moved to China, you couldn't. When I first moved to Beijing, and as you, as everybody knows, Beijing is the capital. It's a very uh, now modern city. You couldn't find a restaurant which wasn't full of secondhand smoke. Uh, you certainly couldn't go to a bar for a drink that wasn't full of secondhand smoke. Uh, now, people in China and in other countries around the world worry a lot about the air pollution outside. But what a lot of people didn't know is that the air in a smoky bar is four or five times worse than the air outside in Beijing on the most polluted day. So um, things have changed uh, in China, but it really, it really has been quite a big culture change and actually in a relatively short amount of time. Now let's get to the good part, because you said things are changing, things have changed, things will continue to change. Everyone's so aware of our climate, of the environment right now. Was that a key opportunity to jump in and link those two messages together to say that if you're worried about the environment, you should actually probably be a bit more worried about what you're smoking? It absolutely was uh, an opportunity and that was something we worked uh, very hard at at WHO to link in people's minds that air quality, uh, air pollution is not just an issue for when you are outside. It's also an issue for when you are inside if other people are smoking in the room with you. And I think by making that connection we were able to help uh, raise the public consciousness about why secondhand smoke is such a big uh, problem. Let me give you another figure. 750 million people three quarters of a billion people. I mean, just take a moment to wrap your head around that figure. Uh, that's how many people are exposed to secondhand smoke in China every day. Now, secondhand smoke is toxic. It kills you. It especially is harmful if you're a uh, pregnant woman, if you're a child, and those are the people most exposed to secondhand smoke uh, in China. But at the same time, there is um, now increasing public awareness of why this is a problem, uh, increasing support to take action to address this problem. And so in my time uh, in China, I was very lucky to have helped work on some of the solutions to that problem, including a very, very good smoke-free law in Beijing. Um, public places in Beijing now 100% smoke-free. You can now find a restaurant without smokers. You can go out for a drink with your friends and not uh, come home smelling like a tobacco factory. Uh, and even better, uh, many other cities around China are also following suit. So we really are starting to see some momentum on this uh, issue of addressing smoke, secondhand smoke. Now, you didn't just come to China 
and suddenly came up with these ideas with your colleagues and also with your partners in government. You came from Australia, where you happened to work for the Minister of Health, Nicola Roxon, who at that time was also moving big on tobacco control. If you think back to those years, what was happening then? Mm. Well, the thing I was very uh, privileged to work on in Australia was the introduction of uh, what we call plain packaging. So if you think about a cigarette packet from, I don't know, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, um, and in fact, many cigarette packets still around the world today, um, some of them are beautiful. They're beautifully designed, um, they're embossed, they have beautifully designed logos, and that is not an accident. The tobacco industry uses the tobacco pra- uh, packet as a marketing tool. We know that. Um, they're quite open about that, in fact. Now, plain packaging is when you take that marketing tool and you disable the ability to use it as a marketing tool. That is, you require the packet uh, to be, the packaging to be plain. Uh, in other words, um, the same brown, n- not very attractive colour, um, no logos, no embossing. Uh, and in fact, we stick on that uh, ugly brown packet a very big, very ugly graphic health warning. So the, the tobacco packet uh, is no longer um, no longer a marketing tool. Now, I'm very proud to say that Australia was the first country to take that step to introduce plain packaging, to take that last uh, vestige of um, tobacco marketing away from the tobacco industry. Uh, and as you say, that was one of the things that I uh, worked on during my time uh, working for the Australian government. Well done, you know. Thank you, because you can see how that's rippled on to the rest of the world. Another question here. A couple of years ago, when we were living in Beijing, there was a study that showed that boys who were as young as five years old were telling the study researchers that they aspire to smoke just like their mums and dads. Do you think that culture is now gone? And push a little bit deeper. What happens now when you create that transformation? What can China do now? Can it then take that baton from Australia, for example, and go further with it? Mm. Well, you're uh, exactly right. Our uh, friends and colleagues of ours from Johns Hopkins University in the USA did... um, a very interesting study four or five years ago. They surveyed a bunch of school-aged children, four or five-year-old children across China and asked them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, if I ask my uh, five-year-old niece or nephew, what do you want to be when they grow up? They will say, I don't know, I want to be Superman or I want to be a firefighter or I want to be uh, Wonder Woman. Um, When you asked those kids in China that same question, One in five of them said, when I grow up, I will be a smoker. Now, that's not good. That's not good. Kids should be thinking about their future as um, a future of hope and promise and opportunity. We know that if kids grow up to become smokers, that most likely leads to a life of uh, illness and almost certainly early death. Um, So that is really, really was a very worrying study. We know that that is the result of very, very um, uh, widespread uh, tobacco marketing. Um, In China, there are some schools still sponsored by tobacco companies. Uh, There are pictures of school kids in uh, their school uniform with the Marlboro logo uh, on the front of it. Now, that is also something that the Chinese government has moved to crack down on, to um, uh, limit 
tobacco marketing to all forms of tobacco advertising, promotion and sponsorship. And we know that's really, really important from protect, for protecting children from the, uh, the impact of that marketing on those very susceptible young minds. Um, so that's something where we're not all the way there yet. We haven't quite solved that problem in China or in almost any other country for that matter. Um, but again, we're starting to see some progress. I think what excites me the most is that it's changing. It may not have got there completely yet, but we're not going to get one million people dying of a tobacco-related illness every year. And in that case, we're going to unlock further the promise and potential of every boy and girl in the world's most populous country. Exactly. And that's what this is all about. If you can stop a young child or a teenager from smoking, uh, it's the equivalent of giving them a vaccine that protects them from life from an infectious disease. We know that if, if people start smoking young, uh, it's harder to stop. If you can delay people from smoking, um, then they're unlikely to take it up in their, say, mid-20s or late-20s or 30s. So protecting young people is so important for our tobacco control efforts. If you can protect people while they're young, you really do protect them for life, and then that gives them a much greater chance to have a healthy, happy, uh, life, long, a healthy, happy and long life. Dr. Angela Pratt, thank you very much. You're most welcome. It's a pleasure. I'm James Chow, host of The China Current. You're listening to the podcast, the bite-sized edition, where we break down a complex story into a digestible episode. Go to our website, thechinacurrent.com, for more stories and more people.